You're listening to the Gateway Franklin Church Podcast. To learn more about Gateway Franklin Church, including our service times here in Franklin, Tennessee, visit us online at gatewayfranklin.com. And now, here is this week's message. Uh, This morning is week four of our series, um, Summer of Renewal, Fire and Wind of Summer of Renewal. And that renewal... Um, is the process of becoming new again. Now, refreshed might be a word you might be able to associate with easier than renewal, and you feel free to mix them out. I I think we know kind of what refreshment feels like, right? When you're refreshed physically, you kind of know what that feels like. When you're refreshed emotionally, you kind of know what that feels like. So what, what does it mean then to be, or what does it feel like right, to be refreshed spiritually. Can, can you associate that with a feeling? And I think you can. Um, three ways in which I've written them down today. One, um, one way that we feel the refreshment, of the, uh, a spiritual refreshment, is when there is a fresh intimacy or a closeness and trust with God the Father. That I will feel spiritually refreshed when that intimacy, that close and that trustness, when that's growing with the Father, that's, that's how I can feel fresh. The second is that when I feel a settledness, which, is, which, I'm, which I'm defining as a peace and belonging into a family of faith, that this family of faith always brings me a sense of freshness, re, being refreshed in, not the place, right? The people of the place. And then... I think spiritual freshness can feel like a fresh clarity of purpose. That I have a a motivation and a path for everyday life. And how how did I figure that out? Because when I I feel like when I'm stale or or when I'm struggling, these are the areas in which it comes. So spiritual freshness, it makes sense it would come out of this way. And it's what I've really kind of boiled down um, as our quick and dirty mission statement, fresh starts, great friends, and real purpose. And I've, I've done that because I can, I can explain that to anybody, and I haven't met anybody yet that hasn't wanted a do-over. No matter what walk of life or where they are, I haven't met nobody that didn't want a do-over. I haven't met anyone that said, no, all my friendships are great, and I got plenty. Never have I ever met anybody that says that. And then real purpose. We long for, we long for a purpose, but we settle for a cause. But God's wired something deep inside of us for purpose. And so when you dig a little deeper under Fresh Start's great friends, it turns into a freshness of being spiritually fresh. And I think in those manners, there's a close trust compatibility with the Father. There's a subtleness of being in this place with these people. I say all the time, this is a place in which we can lend one another faith and borrow from someone's faith. That's, that's That's a big deal and a fresh clarity of purpose. Is it possible to stay fresh in all those areas? Yeah, it really is. But we have to borrow a line from a Subway commercial. Oh, you guys are Jersey Mike guys. I'm a, I'm a Jersey Mike guy too, but the Subway commercial says to stay fresh, you have to, anybody? Refresh, right? So, so, so the very nature that when we're talking about refreshment, spiritual renewal, spiritual refreshment is because there's a tendency, there's things in life and everything else can suck that out of you and put us in a position where we need refreshment, but you can live refreshed. The overarching goal of this summer series on the Holy Spirit is to help us understand that he is the agent of renewal. The Holy Spirit's role, he is the agent of renewal, the guiding presence, the powerful presence, 
the mediator, the vehicle, the means, the cause of renewal. We can't achieve renewal on your own. Renewal, refreshment isn't something you work for. It's something that you receive. Now, we can position ourselves for renewal and refreshment, but it's not something that you work for. Last week, um, we, we, I gave you two big ideas. Now, I, I, I was going to um, give you a recap of the of last two weeks because they were easy and they were bullets, but I realized by the eighth week of this series, that would be the whole series if I just gave you a recap. So, But I'm gonna go, I am going to swing back to last week. I said the more we understand and embrace the Holy Spirit's role and activity in our life, the more transformed and transformational we become. The second statement I gave was, I will discover more life when I step into opportunities with faith for greater things, a bold witness, and confidence to continue regardless of the opposition. Now, uniquely, now I broke that for greater things in a variety of ways, but one was a greater thing of kind of purpose, but I also opened it up right when I believe for greater things for myself. But um, I had someone over Sunday at 4.30. Father Day at 4.30, I scheduled a meeting with a roofer. Now, don't ask me why. It just, you know, it made sense at the time. Really good salesman, I guess. And so he finished his assessment of, of my roof, and we're sitting out on the patio, and he's kind of breaking it down for me. And we finish up, and when we finish up, I, I sense the Holy Spirit told me to pray for him. Now, I st- but what I st- well, how I did that was I laughed. I started laughing because we had just talked about that four hours earlier, right? And I'm, I just laughed like, you can't make this stuff up. So when I, I, I chuckle like you just did, and he goes, huh? And I went, yeah, too much to explain, but is there any way that I can pray for you before you leave? He puts his stuff down. He sits back in the patio chair, and he says, there, there is. Tells me what he wants prayer about. And I said, all right, let's pray. So I prayed for him and extra stuff. Right? He just told me he was fully commissioned. So I prayed for that. He's walking around on my roof. I prayed for that. <laughs> right? right? And I prayed for what he asked me to pray for. But this was, 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 was so cool. We finished. He said, well, is there something I can pray for you about? And I went, oh, I didn't see that coming. Um, tell you what. You just pray whatever you want to pray for me. It was awesome. It was awesome. So, so when, I, when, I, when I have a faith for greater things and I have a, a boldness for witness and I'm not really, I don't really care kind of what happens in that, there is, there, there is something that, that takes, supernaturally takes place in the other person's life. But in this case, it also supernaturally took place in my life. It was awesome, right? So I don't just preach it. I do my best to live it. Um, and it's not always the easiest thing to live. That's what we're called here to do. So we're going to talk about today, fire and wind, um, guided and led. Guided and led is the topic today. Or you could also call it the fruit of freedom. The fruit of freedom. Here's the big idea today we're driving for. The Holy Spirit is an active guiding and leading presence for fruitful living. The Holy Spirit is active, an active guiding and leading presence for fruitful living And a fruitful life is a spiritually healthy and maturing life that impacts and influences the lives of the people around me. All right? Actively guided. All right. So today's text needs some context. 
Paul is writing to the church in Galatia. Galatia would have been in the central region of Turkey, okay? And so when Paul brings the message of Christ, these are Gentiles, okay? They're Gentiles in this area. They hear the message of Christ and they receive it gladly and boldly and the church is growing. And then comes a, a group of people that are known, uh, they, would have, they would carry this uh, moniker of Judaizers, okay? So a Judaizer would have been a Jew who was a Christian, but believed that to, to be a good Christian, to, in order to follow Christ, you had to follow the law, specifically around circumcision, because this was the covenantal symbol given to Israel from God. So they believed in Jesus, they believed what Jesus did, but they believed to be a good Christian, to be a Christian, you had to follow this particular law or follow the law. And Paul was livid over, over this teaching coming into the body and people were receiving that. And, and, I, and I think I realized how. I like to check boxes. Are there any box checkers in the room? You like to check boxes, right? And so there's a standard and you get your boxes and you check it, you feel better, right? So I can understand how it could be received, but Paul would have none of it. And he writes the book of Galatians to teach and to seal this one thing, that, that we are justified by faith alone. Now, justification is a legal word. It's a theological word. It's to be, it's to be in the right standing and the right position and in the right relationship with God. Okay? This is, this is what we're after. We want to be in right standing. We want to be in right relationship with God the Father. And Paul is saying, and we do that by faith in Christ alone. It's a really short statement, isn't it? It's four words, period. The Judaizers are going, and, and, we're justified by faith, and. And that's what he was taking issue with. All right? So um, he's saying that we were, we were free, we were freed on the cross, and we're meant to live free. Um, so, Jesus didn't die because we hit a target, and he doesn't stay in relationship with us because every action and attitude hits his standard. I'm, I'm going to ruffle some feathers before I unruffle them, okay? That's good preaching. His love is self-sourced, self-contained, and freely given. Amen. When we understand this, we disarm the enemy of one of his major, major weapons against us, and that is that we aren't worthy. Have you ever heard that echo in your head? This is what shame sounds like. Shame sounds like you're not worthy. You're not worthy as you don't deserve this. And so, this was my father for a long, long, long time. My dad was that generation you make your mistake, you live with it. You made the choice. You made the decision. This is the consequence. You live with it. Tough it out, Sonny. Rub some dirt on it and get moving. So this idea of Christ coming and dying for him and that was self-sourced from God and not something that my dad had to manufacture or live up to, it, it, I don't know if he ever fully was able to comprehend any of that. I'm not worthy. And this is the tool he used, Satan uses against us believers. When we don't measure up to God's standard, we hear, you're not worthy. And the shame we feel is the feeling that we're not worthy. 
And the, way, the enemy's best tools is to tell you, you're not worthy. That was a shameful thought and act. You're not worthy. You don't deserve to be in relationship with God. And you know, our best answer as followers of Christ is to disarm this whole argument in our head is to say, you're right. I'm not going to argue the point with you. I am not worthy. But I am justified by faith alone. And that is a, that is a freeing, that's a freeing concept to live in is that Jesus' death on the cross, freely given to us, makes us worthy. He makes us worthy. Now, I get the draw of the law. There is a draw to it. Because if I can somehow check the right boxes and feel like that, then I've earned it or I'm worthy of it, I, I get it. Does anybody work in a job that that's how it works at work? right? If you check the right boxes, do the right things, right? Then there's promotions or raises or whatever, right? And you know, you don't just get to show up and uh, stop. I'm going to, I was going to make some generational references that would have no bearing on this message. (laughs) See, see some of you laugh. You're old like me. The others were like, "Mm, I'm glad you didn't go there. But the problem with the law, even for the Jew was the Jews couldn't keep the law. That's the problem with the law. The law couldn't be kept. So what did they do with the law? They came up with some creative workarounds on things. Here's just one example. You weren't allowed to travel more than a mile on the Sabbath. But if grandma lived two miles away, what you did was the day before the Sabbath, you'd go put a cloak one mile away. And so this becomes your new lake house or something. You get to go... You get to go that mile on the Sabbath, but since your cloak was there, that's really kind of an extension of where you live, so now you can go another mile. So they even recognized by their workarounds they couldn't keep all the law. And yet now we come to Christ, and we're still trying to keep the law, and the law was never even built for that. The law, God institutes law, and its main function was to illustrate we can't keep the law. It was, it was a continual proof of, you can't do this by yourself. You're going to need a Messiah, and the Messiah is coming. So why would we go back to the law? So Paul would have no going back to it. So here's Galatians chapter 5, verse 1 out of the Amplified. That's the context. Now, we're, it's six chapters in Galatians, so we're in chapter 5. This is, he's nearing the end of his argument, and here we pick it up. He says, it was for this freedom that Christ set us free, completely liberating us. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery which you once removed. Notice it is I, Paul, who tells you that if you receive circumcision as a supposed requirement of salvation, Christ will be no benefit to you, for you will lack the faith in Christ that is necessary for salvation. That is a heavy line. So if you, if you adopt that practice, what you're really doing is saying that what Christ did on the cross wasn't enough for you. Anytime we add something, so you are taking away from what Christ did on the cross. Once more, I solemnly affirm to every man who receives circumcision as a supposed requirement of salvation that he is under the obligation and required to keep the whole law. You don't get to pick and choose in the law. You don't get to chicken, you know, choose this one that was easy and this was hard. If you're going to go by the law, then let's go back to the law. 
So you have been severed from Christ. If you seek to be justified, that is declared free of the guilt of sin and its penalty and placed in right standing with God through the law. You have fallen from grace for you have lost your grasp on God's unmerited favor. Isn't that interesting? When you try to grasp his favor, you lose grasp of his favor. For we, not relying on the law, but through the strength and power of who? The Holy Spirit. By faith are waiting confidently for the hope of righteousness, the completion of our salvation. So we're saved now. We're in relation with Christ now. But we are going to see this in full when we're with Christ in heaven. For we, if we are in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything, but only faith activated and expressed and working through love. So that we cannot work for our relationship with God. There is no level, at work, level of work acceptable to God. Like if this was even the case, like when is it ever enough? When is it enough? What, what, what possibly could earn or deserve the death of Christ? I mean, you can put as many check boxes as you went there, or are we ever going to get enough to have earned that? No. So then, so then why on the other side of salvation do we think there's a whole list of things that we can keep and maintain that by doing these things? If it doesn't work on one side, it doesn't work on the other side. Now, he goes on. You were running the race well. Who has interfered and prevented you from obeying the truth? This deceptive persuasion is not from him who called you to freedom in Christ. A little leaven, a slight inclination to error, or a few false teachers leavens the whole batch. It, per, it perverts the concept of faith and misleads the church, and that's what was going on. That's why he's addressing all of this. I have confidence in you, in the Lord, that you will adopt no other view contrary to mine on the matter, but the one who is disturbing you, whoever he is, will have to bear the penalty. But as for me, brothers, if I'm still preaching circumcision, as I had done before I met Christ, Paul was a really good Jew before he found Jesus, okay? And so he said, look, if I, I, that's what I was doing before. He said, basically, he said, if I'm still doing this, why am I being persecuted? I'm being accused that this is what I preach. This is not what I preach. And if I preach what they preach, then why are they persecuting me for preaching what I preach? Didn't say that, but that's what he's saying. In that case, the stumbling block of the cross to unbelieving Jews has been abolished, I wish that, PG-13 rating here, ready? I wish those who were troubling you by teaching that circumcision is necessary for salvation would go all the way and castrate themselves. I mean, this is how serious he is about this, about this concept, what he's preaching on. Well, look, if they're saying that you have to do this, then well, you know, just do it all. So I want to give you some deep breaths here, right? Because human nature, our human and natural efforts haven't freed us from the power of sin, nor can human natural efforts ever keep us free. We can't, we can't get it naturally. We can't grow and keep it naturally. All right? So here's some deep breath statements for you to take in. We are free in Christ because Christ has set us free. Christ didn't set us free from one set of laws that we couldn't keep on our own to give you another to keep on your own. <sighs> Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection were enough to free us, and we received that relationship by faith. <sighs> now, 
I grew up in church. And I grew up in a church with a lot of to-dos and don'ts. You might have. And that's freeing. But it also stirs up the other side of me that goes, well, does that mean that I just do whatever I want to do however I want to do it? I mean, if I, if I can't earn it and I can't keep it by own natural reverence, then, well, then, you know, what's life? And so what Paul starts to address now is what is known as law and license. So are we saved and justified by the law? No. What does that mean? Then we, then we have a license, right? What's a license for? A license gives you permission to operate and do whatever you want. So does that, is that advocating for license? No, and he's about to make that point. But he establishes on the front end to say, you didn't get this by, by checking boxes. You ain't gonna keep this by checking boxes. And if you think you keep it by checking boxes, you're not gonna live in the freedom that I've given you to live in. Okay, that's freedom. Now he takes a shot at license. For you, my brothers, were called to freedom. Only do not let your freedom become an opportunity for the sinful nature, worldliness, selfishness, but through love serve and seek the best for one another. For the whole law concerning human relationships is fulfilled in one precept. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. That is, you should have an unselfish concern for others and do things for their benefit. But if you bite and devour one another, which is what they were doing, but if you bite and devour one another in bickering and strife, watch out that you, along with your entire fellowship, aren't consumed by one another. Paul's point. We were free. We were free from sin. Why would we then turn our freedom over to the consequences of those behaviors? To allow our nature to be ruled by the flesh is to put ourselves right back in the very place in which he has freed us from, okay? So to be ruled by the law isn't freedom, but to be ruled by the flesh isn't freedom either. We live in an already not yet world, meaning this, the kingdom of God has come alive inside of us when we receive Christ. That's the already part. We live in the kingdom of God because the kingdom of God lives inside of us if you're following Christ. But we also live in the not yet world, okay? Already is now Holy Spirit kingdom inside of me. The not yet is we're not in heaven right? We're not in heaven. So, so the bondage that sin has on us, being bound by that, being chained by that, that has been broken. We've been freed from that, but because we're, not, we're in the not yet, we still are subject to the tug and tease of that old nature. The tug and tease, the physical pull or the whisper come here, okay? It's still present, although it doesn't have, the, it doesn't have control like it did, it's still present, okay? So how do we resist? How do we resist this tug and tease? This is what he says in verse 16. But I say, walk habitually in the Holy Spirit, seek him and be responsive to his guidance. And then you will certainly not carry out the desire of the sinful nature, which responds impulsively without regard for God and his precepts. For the sinful nature has its desire which is opposed to the spirit and the desire of the spirit opposes the sinful nature. For these two, the sinful nature and the spirit are in direct opposition to each other. They're continually in conflict 
so that you as believers do not, do not always do whatever good things you want to do. Does that apply to anybody in the room? Okay, so, so, so the tug and tease is real. We know where it's coming from. We know it's in direct opposition to the Spirit, but it's the Holy Spirit that we walk in that gives us the power to do this. If you are guided and led by the Spirit, you are not subject to the law. What does that mean? It means if I'm guided by the Spirit, I'm, I'm not even close to where the law is. Okay? So, um, how does Paul tell us not to give in to Doug and T's to walk in a consistent I mean, the word, I love the word, habitually walk, right? So we are to, we are to walk on a consistent habit-forming basis. I think, I think um, sociologists or psychologists will tell you it takes seven days to create a habit or so. I mean, there's some things like days to put on that kind of thing. And, and it takes sometimes, you, and to break a bad habit, what you need to do is replace it with a good habit, right? Because if you're, one is just a lot, of, a lot of trying to break this bad habit, right? So there's a lot of even psychology to this thing. But to, to habitually walk in the Spirit, that means the more often in which I walk in the Spirit, and I'll, I'll get to that in a minute, the more often I walk in the Spirit and I'm yielded to the Spirit, the more often then I can follow the Spirit, okay? Because habits are something you're drawn to because it does something, right? There, there's some pleasure in that, right? Habits are, so, you don't do, a habit isn't like I don't punch myself as a habit, Right? Right? I feed myself as a habit, right? So, so, so this is kind of where he's going to. The more often that we walk in the Spirit, it becomes a habit because it's going to lead us to the right thing. So how, how do you walk by the Spirit? I'll give you three, three quick things. One is to seek the Holy Spirit. Seek the Holy Spirit. We want to have an active relationship with God through the Spirit. Um, I don't want to be out of contact with Him. Seek the Holy Spirit. Second is to actively pursue his guidance. So I do that in prayer. I do that in the scripture, right? This gives me, this gives me some specific and general ways in which I follow God. When I'm in prayer, the Holy Spirit will give me something maybe much more specific to, to the moment for me. I can still find that in here many times, right? But like uh, coming, to, coming to Nashville to plant the church from Atlanta, like I can't find that anywhere in here, right? Nowhere in here did I hear move from Atlanta, and go to Nashville, right? So, but, but there was plenty in here, there was plenty here that would draw me to fulfill the great commission and the call of God on my life, right? But the where and when and how, that was, that was led and guided by the Holy Spirit, right? So I'm seeking, I'm actively pursuing his guidance, and then I have to be responsive to his guidance. All right, I gotta be responsive to his guidance. So one of Annie's favorite uh, cities in the world is New York City. And so, and I've got a childhood friend, still lives in New York City. We grew up together. I mean, grew up together, okay? And so we would go, and we, I grew up 50 miles or so from, uh, from New York City. And maybe it's a little more, but on a train, it took me 50 minutes to get there, so a minute per mile. I just, that's, that's my math. So um, I don't know how old she was, but we went, and it was winter break or something, and it was cold, right? Someone just told me they had a friend moving to New Jersey. I said, why, right? Um, <laughs> And they said they were buying winter clothes already. And I said, yeah, because in New Jersey, we had winter on the 4th of July. So we're about to summer in New Jersey. But, but so, um, so we go, we visit my buddy, and, but we're walking around the city one day. And even though I'd been there, I've grown up all around it, I, I was getting lost. And so I had my phone out and I'm following the GPS instructions to get where we're going. And I ain't getting where I'm going. Well, Gina just wants to ask somebody. And I'm saying, no, we'll figure it out. She said, no, I'm a, there's a police officer right there. I'm going to ask him. I said, fine. So she asks him where to go. Well, 
as he's talking, I'm inching over closer because I'd like to hear what he's got to say, but I don't want to admit that I'm, you know, right? So I'm getting a little closer. And then when he tells her the direction to go, I said, well, that's the exact opposite my phone's telling me. And then only as a passive-aggressive New Yorker can do, sorry if you're from New York, he said, you know what, it's funny to me how many tourists are tied to the very thing that got them lost <laughs> to get them found. And I went, which way did he say, honey? Right? <laughs> right? Well, it's interesting that even when you would seek the guidance of God and the Holy Spirit, and you hear something that seems to be so contrary that you would have done naturally, we go, really? That's what you want me to do? Or that's how you want me to do it? Or that's how you want me to respond? Right? We go, that doesn't make any sense. Yeah, because it's supernatural, right? Supernatural is not bigger than natural. Supernatural is beyond natural. All right? So we seek the Holy Spirit. We seek the guidance through prayer and the word. And then we actually follow what he says. Now, he's running near the end of this passage. And Paul wants to be very, very clear now that he's, he's setting it up very clear that what's the difference between um, the flesh nature and the spirit nature. Okay, he's gonna be very, very plain. Now the practices of the sinful nature, that would be then our responses to the sinful nature, the, the practices, are clearly evident. They are sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, total irresponsibility, lack of self-control, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions that promote heresy, which is what was going on in the church, envy, drunkenness, riotous behavior, and who practice other things like these. So it was like somewhere along the line he was going, I can't write them all. Right? So, so I guess I've gotten far enough that people understand, they're going to understand what we've identified as practices of the sinful nature. He said, I warn you beforehand, just as I did previously, that those such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. All right? So he's being very, very clear. Now, I'm going to give you this statement, and then I'm going to need to clarify it probably because it's going to, it's, it might hit you in a wrong way. Jesus died to pay the penalty for our sin. His death did not remove the penalty sin carries. Settle it on. Living according to the flesh is to be subject to the bondages created by that living. And Jesus has a better way forward and his life bears better fruit. Okay? So, Jesus paid the debt for sin. For whoever will receive that payment, and it's free, we surrender ourselves to him, we receive salvation. But that has not eliminated the consequences of sin. So, I, just, I can't have an affair and be living according to the Spirit. Now, can I? And there's consequences. There'll be consequences... To that, can, can, can Christ receive me again? Can I be forgiven and then restored in a right relationship with him? Absolutely. There, there isn't anything outside of the scope of that. But yet, I will endure the consequences of that decision. You following me? 
So he's saying, you've been set free. You have been set free. So don't use your freedom to go back doing some of the same stuff that's going to carry some, same, some hard consequences because I set you free from that. I set you free from that so you can go back and do that. You keep doing that, you're going to keep ending up in the same places. And listen, and the feelings of shame and unworthiness will keep piling up. Now, that's different. I'm talking about just choosing to live in. We, we, we're going to, we're, listen, we're going, we're going to fall to the tug and tease. I am not exempt. I'm standing up here in front of you. I am not exempt from the tug and tease. Nor am I exempt from falling from the tug or tease. I'm not. How long you stay there determines how much this is going to hurt. The faster you realize you're there, the faster you can get out of that burning building. Okay? All right. So, and Romans 6.23 proves this if you didn't believe me. The wages of sin are death. Ah, but the gift of God is eternal life. That's the, that's the gift we get. All right? So he's, he's, he's paid the debt for us, but the debt still hangs on all that stuff. Okay? All right. So now he flips the script. So that's what that sinful nature looks like. And this is what happens when you, when you give into that. Ah, but there's another side. But the fruit of the Spirit, the result of his presence within us is love, unselfish concern for others, joy, inner peace, patience, not the ability to wait. This is really cool. But how we act while waiting. <laughs> well, I waited in line. Oh, did you? Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against these, there is no law. You can't have a law again. This stuff is the fruit of the Spirit. This is what gets produced in our life. And all those who belong to Christ Jesus have, been, have crucified the sinful nature together with its passions and appetites. This is what happens. When we come to Christ, we crucify that. So let's not give it life again. Right? It's crucified. Don't keep giving it life. And it stands in stark contrast to sin. Again, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. But here, you're, you're hang with me. He doesn't give us this list as something we strive for. Because you can break these out and kind of really do a whole list of things. Like, what is love here? The agape and what is this fruit here? And what does this mean? And, and I want to strive for those. And how do I become more patient of a person? He doesn't list them out as the fruits of the Spirit, although it applies He's saying, this is what happens in your life. This is what your life produces when you chase after the Spirit. Your life will produce these things. It's like, you don't see an apple tree somehow straining. <laughs> apple, right? That is not what you witness in an orchard. Apple trees produce apples really naturally. Hey, now look, you can, you can cultivate and you can... And you can fertilize and you can water, right? You can produce really sweet fruit when you take care of the dadgum tree, right? But it's not something that now I'm working towards. It is stuff I cultivate. It is stuff I cultivate, all right? I love, I mean, fruit, I, there's some fruits I like, some fruits I don't like. I'm not a big fruit guy, um, but there's some fruits I like. And, and, and I like them because, well, inherently, they, people tell me that they're good for me. So that's always a win, right? But you don't see that. Like there's no label on the fruit that says good for you. 
right? Unless someone put it there. So you don't see that, but it's in there and it's good for you, right? So fruit, got that there. Um, and, then, and then we have, it just tastes good. Like I'm a pineapple guy. It's, it's, I know it's a strange fruit, right? I, I look like a kiwi guy, but no, I'm, I'm, I'm a pine, I love, I love, love, love pineapple. So I take pineapple, I take, I take pineapple because it tastes good. But here's the other great thing about fruit. Fruit has seeds. Seeds reproduce trees that reproduce fruit. And I can't, it just, you know, I know it's natural. Like, why are you telling me this? I was reading Genesis three weeks ago. And when you read Genesis 1, and God kept producing things with seed to produce after its own kind. So, so if, if I'm habitually walking the Spirit, and I'm allowing the fruit of the Spirit to develop to me, and I cultivate that, and I give, I give room for that, can that reproduce in other people? It has an immediate impact on people, no matter where they are, right? If you, if you do love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control, and the one I always forget, I think kindness is in there, right? If, I'm, if, if those are coming out of my life, I'm automatically having an impact and influence on someone. Now, if I'm giving them an opportunity to talk about where that seed come from, comes from, that's a, whole, that's a whole different thing. All right, let's finish the text. If we claim to live by the Holy Spirit, we must also walk by the Spirit with personal integrity, godly character, and moral courage. Our conduct empowered by whom? So to see, even, even as Paul's presenting this, this precept from God, he's not saying, Ryan, go produce fruit. Come on, bud. You're, you're like four of them, like you're okay, but the other two, you need to pick up the pace. Right Now I will say this. I can tell you which ones are lacking in my life. I can tell you which ones that are shriveled up. Now, do I go and read a book on how to bolster them up? Or do I recognize that I need to yield to the Holy Spirit in these situations that, that this fruit can produce itself? Yes, that's what that means. That's what that means. He doesn't give us the list of the fruits so that we can somehow try to work out how do we get the fruit. All right. All right, team, come on up. Here's the big idea again. This is what we were driving to, and I'm gonna give you a couple other things, and then we're gonna pray. The Holy Spirit is an active, guiding, and leading presence for fruitful living. That's a powerful statement. He is active, guiding, and leading, okay? A fruitful life is a spiritually healthy, a refreshed, a renewed, a maturing life, and it impacts and influences all the lives around me. The Holy Spirit is the active principal party here. So here's some general maintenance practices on how to walk in the Spirit, okay? I'm going to give you some general. This applies to every one of us. The first one is to be aware. We have to be aware that there are two voices working in our heads. Sometimes I would count more than that in my head. But there are two primary voices. We have the sinful nature still at work, and we have the spirit nature at work, Okay? So if you're not aware that there are conflicting voices going on and tug and tease, you're going to drive yourself batty. You're going to think you're just either terrible or you're just good all the time. No, these are competing forces in our life, and you need to be aware. First is you're aware that they exist. The second is you start differentiating which voice is which. I love my wife's voice. I, I had her do the, 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 the voicemail for the church for years and years because I just called and just listened to her voicemail. I love her voice. 31 years in we are, 
And her voice, man, still, it just melt me. I don't, I don't ever call her and wonder, whose voice is that? I called to make an appointment the other day. I thought I knew the receptionist's name. So I was trying to remember everybody who worked at this practice. And so I said, hey, Jennifer, I thought it'd be cool. Hey, Jennifer, is there anything open to you? Any cancellations? And she said, I'm Sarah. <laughs> but if Gina was on the other phone, I'd have said, hey, Gina, right? I'd have known her voice. So it stands the reason, because I've spent 31 years plus with Gina, that her voice is very, very natural for me to pick up, okay? So the more we listen and differentiate these voices, the more we recognize which voice is which. And if you can know which voice is which, you can know what their end game is, all right? So be aware. The second is to check your inputs. Check your inputs. Inputs always impact outputs, always. In any circumstance, in any setting, inputs impact outputs. What are your habitual inputs? Because if it's not, if the fruit of, if the, fruit of the Spirit are, are not developing in seed form or, 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 you know, it's not like that we're all a big orchard already, right? But if they're not growing and developing whatever, then check your inputs. Because inputs always impact outputs. The third general practice is think later, not now. I don't know how I wrote it. How did I write it? Live for later. All right, live for later. Why? Because the, the flesh always wants now. Always. The angry outburst, that's about now. Okay? The flesh always wants now. The spirit always calls us to something later. This might not feel good now, but this is what it's going to produce later. The Holy Spirit is always interested in our growth and our development our later. Your flesh always wants to be satisfied now. And if you recognize it and you know that, then this outburst or this reach for or this uh, sexual impure, any of this stuff that's about now, you can say, oh, I know where that's coming from. I know where that's taking me. I'm going to put it down. I'm going to put it away. I'm going to walk away. I'm going to throw away. I'm going to apologize. I'm going to say I'm sorry. I'm going to repent. Here are three active practices. Persistently, and everything's in the adverb here. Persistently pursue the Holy Spirit's presence in prayer. The more you listen to him, he, the, the easier he becomes to identify. So that's persistently pursue. This is an issue for me. Um, Persisting the pursue means I'm going to make a habit of this. Make, and I don't know if it's a man thing or it's just a type A thing or I'm a first only child, uh, eight on the Enneagram. I mean, you just list them all out. But I like doing stuff on my own. One of my biggest hurdles as a Christian is wanting to prove to God that he made the right choice. I promise that that is an that has been an ongoing an ongoing issue for me making sure God knows he made a good choice right and so which means then sometimes when something's in front of me to do I want hey I, I remember I wanted to prove to my dad that I could do it so I wouldn't ask my dad for help because I wanted to prove I can do it so I could hear him say hey you did good but what I learned later on is if I would have asked my dad how to do it and he would have came over to help me do it and I did it, he would have said, man, you really did good. But he never intended for me to go do it by myself. So there is no need to feel like that you have to do something without his assistance, help, and guidance 
so that you look better in his eyes. So persistently pursue him in prayer. The second would be yearningly yield. Yearningly. I probably, I won't cry now in this service because I cried now in last service. So I've kind of got that cry out. So you won't get the full emotional impact of this. But I can't lead you as a pastor on my own. I'm not good enough. Not enough of me. Not enough good in me. I can't do it. I try, and I have tried. Plenty of years I've tried. And there I went, there I went crying. But you know what? If I yearningly yield to the leadership of the Holy Spirit, not only can I do it, it will be done well because it's the Holy Spirit guiding, leading, and empowering. And I'm just a tool. Moms, dads, you cannot lead your family well by yourself. Husbands, you can't love your wife well by yourself. Wives, you can't love your husband well by yourself. There is so much tugging and teasing and pulling and scraping going on, but you can yearningly yield yourself to the Holy Spirit. And he will can direct and will direct your steps and empower you for that love, for that service. You, you, moms, you afraid of what's gonna happen to your kids? Will you yearningly yield them and your leadership to the Holy Spirit? Then will you trust that since you've act, you're actively pursuing, you're persistently pursuing the direction of the Spirit and His power? That when you yearningly yield your leadership there over your kids, then God will direct you. Hey, come on. Moms have six eyes, right? Right? That's not all natural. That's spiritual. Your spidey sense isn't just a spidey sense. When you have placed those kids on the altar and you feel something that you need to have a conversation or you need to open up that notebook or you need, that's not you. That's the Holy Spirit helping you to guide your family and keep them from going off a cliff. Persistently pursue the Holy Spirit in prayer. Yearningly yield leadership over them. And maybe the hardest part is to faithfully follow what he puts in front of you to do. Because he's going to say sell everything and move to Nashville and you don't know anybody and you're going to say that doesn't make any sense right I mean this is supernatural so when you commit yourself to this process then when the Holy Spirit gives you direction do it do it I know there's extreme examples of that there's little examples of that I know what it seems to, I know what it seems to maybe cost everything from feeling like you should pray for your roofer to packing up and moving or starting a new business or whatever those things look like. This is what is offered to us. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I want to live in that. Boy, that just sounds free to me. Not trying to earn measure live produce strain but i'd take a deep breath once in a while and let god do his thing with me and through me that's freedom where where are you today are you on this side of the fence in the sense that you've been trying to figure out who christ is and it just seems like 
your only interaction with him or people like him was all about what you do, what you do, what you don't, what you do, what you don't, what you do, what you don't. And you've been trying to figure out how you can actually even try to conform yourself to this thing. You are in relationship. You can be in relationship with Christ by faith alone. If you will surrender yourself by faith in what he did on the cross, this stuff will work itself out. You'll be amazed of all the do's and don'ts that you don't want to even look at anymore because you've been given a new nature, a new heart. The heart of stone has been replaced with a heart of flesh and even your want to's change. Or maybe you're on this side of the fence like me and you continually want to check the right boxes and try to earn and deserve and that is a tiring, tiring, tiring existence. And if you would surrender and realize that your freedom is in Christ and let and watch that fruit grow. And don't keep going back. Don't keep going back into the stuff that once kept you bound. Don't then feel like that this is, that's the path to take. Live in the freedom of Christ. Allow the Holy Spirit's power to pull, push you and pull you away from that tug and tease. So I don't know where this message might have hit you today. Guys watching online, um, I hope that you'll find your knees at a coffee table. We're going to spend our, our, our last few minutes together in prayer and response, right? I say it all the time, movement matters. Did this hit you in a manner that you need to move? In most cases, I think yes. Now, movement can look like receiving communion on my left or right. It can look like coming to the altar and having someone pray with you. It can look with your hands raised in worship. You can spin around and kneel at your chair. Just movement stirs the soul. I invite you to stir it today. I want you to stand. I'm going to pray and then I'm going to invite you to move. Lord, this was your day. This was the passage uh, chosen by you through through your servant doing my best to convey your words. But my confidence isn't in my ability to do that. My confidence is in your spirit. And so the people sitting here and watching, Lord, it's your spirit that empowers them to make decisions, changes, um, movement. And I pray that they would respond to your tug today. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. We hope you were encouraged and challenged by today's message. Again, to learn more about Gateway Franklin Church, find us online at gatewayfranklin.com. Thanks for joining us today.